Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you here for worship again. And in this message series, what we've been trying to do is focus and really get a clear picture of what is it that God really wants for different areas of our life. And so this uh, message series has been called My Life in Focus. It's really kind of a series on vision. And we have talked about how a vision really is... If you have a vision, you have a pretty clear picture of what you're trying to accomplish with your life. And so a godly vision is getting a clear picture of, of what God wants you to accomplish with your life. And so that's what we've been trying to do is bring into focus some of the major areas of uh, of life and then start taking steps of turning those visions, God's vision for our life, and turning that into reality. And today we're wrapping up this series by looking at God's vision for family life and when it comes to having a vision for family life, it's almost impossible to block out of our minds this, just the, the media that we've taken in through the course of our lives, whether it's TV shows or, or movies and just the different portrayals of family. And I grew up in the 80s with shows that displayed families that were somewhat, uh, it seemed like they had it all together. At least a lot of the shows were, there were these, not perfect, but you know, close to perfect um, families who could resolve conflict in 30 minutes. You know, everyone's hugging and smiling. And so I want to show you a montage of, of three shows that I grew up watching. And these shows gave the parents of today some visions of what family life might look like. And so let's, let's take a quick look at this. wasn't he? He just wanted to squeeze those big cheeks. <laughs> every, uh, I don't know if you watched any of those shows, but everyone's smiling in them. Everyone's hugging, smiling, you know, just, life just looks so harmonious, you know, and, and moms, you know, wasn't it, it wouldn't be nice if it was just that easy where you like, you know, you're in the kitchen and you flip the little mixer and you catch it and you're smiling and cooking. <laughs> That's not often real life though, is it moms, you know? Dads, I mean, you know, just always smile on our face. See, if you watch enough of that on these shows, it begins to form in your mind a picture that you're trying to build upon. And But what happens is when family life doesn't match up to what we see on the TV, it can get really frustrating. It can get really disheartening. 
Because real life doesn't compare to what we see on, on these scripts. It takes way longer than 30 minutes to resolve conflict, doesn't it? You know, that's the thing about a TV show. There's a problem and there's a solution within 30 minutes and everything's pretty much back to normal. Now, if you grew up in the 90s, you don't see a lot of these kind of uh, shows. So if you grew up in the 90s, the shows are far more dysfunctional of the family that is portrayed. Now, if you go further back, 70s, 60s, it gets even more picture perfect, doesn't it? But more often than not, family life is far from picture perfect. In fact, today, um, you know, many of you are dealing with some unresolved hurts from family life. And so, before we go any further, I, I just want to pray. Knowing that we're talking about family, that stirs up a wide range of emotions for a variety of reasons. So I just want to pray, and then we'll go into what the Bible has to say on this topic. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for bringing us here. We ask you to protect um, this service, Lord, we thank you for just the way that we can open up your word and really get a clear picture of what you have to say about life. And so, God, I ask that you do that. Lord, speak clearly to us. I do pray that you would bring comfort, Lord, where that's needed. I pray for healing where that's needed. I pray that you would um, move us forward in our mind towards the steps that you want us to take, Lord, where we're stuck. Lord, I pray that you continue to just provide the help that we need in family life. For many here, Lord, it's just it's a real challenge, Lord, to look at this subject. So, God, I pray that you would bring um, just whatever help we need right now, God, in this time, to guide our to guide us forward. It's in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, we're concerned with really the question of what it, what does God, you know, intend for family life. How does God see family life? Does he see it as a club? Does he see it as a team? If you're, if you're in a club, the focus of a club is the benefits that the members get. And so sometimes we think of family life as a club. Like we say about a person, wow, they were really raised in a great family. Or, or wow, they, they, you know, they really landed in the right home. What we're really thinking about is the club aspect there, is that they, they somehow got these benefits and privileges, and if only we got those things. Well, another way of looking at family life is the team. That the family is a team with a specific purpose in mind that you're trying to pull towards. There's goals, there's something that God wants to accomplish with this team. And so when conflict arises in a family, rather than asking what's, what's best for me, like you would ask if you're in a club, the team is really asking, what is, what is good for the whole team? What's going to benefit the whole team so that we can better accomplish the goal? In family life, every day, you and I, we have choices that can either help us move towards the, the goal and the purpose of, of the team or to take us off course to where we drift away and, and move off course. And many times, the impact can be seen for years and years, both for good or for harm. So what I want to do is, is at the top of your listening guide, you see this statement. This is kind of where we're heading, Christ followers lead their family to serve God as a team. This team aspect is really what we're looking at today. And we're going to look, not in the New Testament, but really in the Old Testament, back to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. And so if you have a Bible, you can certainly flip there. And in the book of Joshua, we get one of the greatest accounts of leading people and families to do what is pleasing to God. And so here's some background on the main verses that we're eventually going to get to chapter 24. But I'm going to kind of run through 
the summary of Joshua real quick so you understand how we get to the last chapter and the verses we're going to look at. In the beginning of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, basically Joshua has just taken over the leadership of the people of Israel. He is now the leader because Moses, the former leader, has died. And Moses led Israel for a long time and God had his hand on, on Moses in enabling him to lead God's people out of captivity and slavery and advance towards the promised land. And now Joshua is standing pretty much on the edge of the promised land and he's been given the assignment to lead God's people now into the promised land to take what is theirs, okay? And this is a giant task for any leader is to, to lead these people, both militarily, and organizationally, spiritually. He has a huge task before him. And then he has giant shoes to fill. He's got to somehow... Replace Moses. And so, here's where we're at. That's Joshua. Quick summary. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read through the first, I think, seven verses, and then we'll kind of fly forward um, several chapters. So it says, Joshua 1, 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, the son of Nun, Moses' Moses's assistant, this is what God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, that's this river, Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. I read, I reread that this morning and I thought, wow, can you imagine God giving you that promise? Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. That's a, that's a remarkable promise. Think about the confidence that the leader would have to hear that. Look at verse 4. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So he's basically giving him kind of the parameters of this promised land. No man, verse 5, shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Again, huge promise to him as a leader. Verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous, or and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So he's basically Letting them know what it's going to take to lead. He's saying you've got to lead people with these three things. Verse 7 gets at them. Be strong. That's one thing. Get it. That word in Hebrew it has to do with getting a firm grip on your responsibilities. So this is what he's to lead people to do. is keep a grip on what they're responsible for in life. Be strong. Be courageous, he says. That word courageous, it has the idea that you're acting with valor. Meaning you don't have to keep taking steps forward rather than being afraid. And at whatever point you're afraid... You need to keep acting with courage, acting with valor. And so this is a group of people that's about to advance into a land occupied by other other people. But this is the land that God has been leading them towards to take as their inheritance. And then it says this. He says, be very careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, has given. So basically, don't veer even to the right or to the left on, on God's laws. What God has said, you need to keep very, very specifically... This is the things that, that God is telling Joshua to lead out in. And so through many years, through the book of Joshua, Joshua leads in a series of military campaigns advancing God's people through the land. And so here's a map 
of the conquest, basically. And you can read through the book of Joshua, you can read about this kind of story where they advance in the middle, near the bottom, you see there's an arrow hanging to the left, a little red arrow. That's where they cross the Jordan, then they head south, and there's these military campaigns, and they keep advancing. And with the exception of one uh, situation where they nearly lost a battle because of sin, they just were victorious and victorious and victorious, and God just kept handing over um, armies into their... You know, really, God was doing this for them and providing the victory, and then they were taking this new land, the promised land. And you can read this throughout the book of Joshua. I encourage you to do it if you've never read. But then the land is distributed to all the different families of the tribes of Israel. There's 12 different tribes, sons of a man named Jacob. And those tribes really were the Israelites. And so the Israelites took the land and it was Joshua distributed the land. It was allotted for all these different families. And so on this map, you see the colors represents the different allotments where each family, you know, each tribe of Israel was able to live. And now if you were to flip from Joshua chapter 1 all the way to Joshua chapter 23, we're going to pick up in chapter 23. Joshua basically now, the end of the book is he's near the end of his life. All the, all the victories, all the battles are done. Land has already been allotted, and he begins to think about the next generation. Joshua is now at the very end of his life, okay? And he is basically charging God's people with some final words. And he's really concerned about passing on a legacy to the next generation. He's concerned about what God's people are going to do as they step forward into the future. And as you can imagine, Joshua's main concern is, I want God's people to continue to pursue God. I don't want this just to have been a phase of history where they followed God under Moses but, but, and under his leadership, but I want this to go on and on. He cares about the next generation and the future families. This is often the concern of those that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. They are concerned about that the next generation would follow God. Uh, a couple months ago, we looked at a series of messages talking about what is the focus of the different decades of life. If you're in your 20s, you're focused generally on training. In your 30s, you're focused on building. In your 40s, you're focused on enduring, or some would say surviving. <laughs> it's the fire years. And then in your 50s, 60s, 70s, beyond, however long the Lord allows you to live, those are really the years where you pour out your life into the next generation. Those are the years of leading and pouring out into others. And so in Joshua's case, he is in that phase of life where he's pouring out all he can into the next generation. And God has blessed him with long, long life. Joshua at this point is not 70 or 80. He's 110 years old, okay? So he lived to the ripe old age of 110. And so what he does is in this final speech, it says he gathers all the leaders and he reminds them to keep trusting God. So let's pick it up in Joshua 23, verse 1. It says this, A long time afterward, basically in that phrase, that's after the military campaign and after the conquest. There's quite a gap between chapter 22 and chapter 23. So there's like 20 years, basically. That's what that represents, is 20 years. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. He was 110 years old. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. Now right here, avoiding any temptation to elevate himself, 
he reminds them of this. Look at what he says. For it is the Lord, your God, who has fought for you. If they were a part of those battles, they would have known that. But he reminds them, look, nobody get confused about why we're here. No one get confused about what has just happened over the course of my life. He's saying, look, for it is the Lord your God. Okay? He's the one who has fought for you. And he just goes on and he reminds them, here's what it means to be God's people. We're not going to read all the verses here, but he's pleading with them to remember the covenant or the agreement that they had made to be God's people and to live in a certain way. He just says, look, remember what you said. Remember this agreement that you've made. And his whole bottom line is, continue to serve God. Continue to trust God. Remember, he has always come through for you. And so I want to pick up in Joshua 24, which is the last chapter of the book of Joshua. So I've given you a quick run-through of Joshua, the book. You get to the end of Joshua, and basically, he lays out a specific charge to God's people in verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river. So he's saying, before you crossed the Jordan River, there were these gods that they got entangled with, even before they took the promised land. Put away those gods, he's saying, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Okay? He's creating for them a picture of this is what it means, verse 14, this is what it means to live a fully devoted life to God. This is what it looks like for families who are fully devoted to God. And here are some of the key ideas that you see in verse 14. I've outlined them for you there. Fear the Lord. What this means to fear the Lord is, this means to take God at His word. If you've ever come across that phrase, to fear God, sometimes we we think of fear and we think cowering and fear and running and hiding. We think of the boogeyman or we think of monsters or horror horror movies. Fearing the, the Lord, it actually means to take Him so seriously that you do what He says. It's that you believe He's so real that you believe... It's, it's not that you think He's just a, a force that's you know distant, but He is very involved. He's the God of the universe, but He's very much involved in our lives. He is real. He's interacting with us. And you take Him seriously. You don't play games with God. You fear Him. You believe He's your guide, and you line up your life with what He says. It's kind of like how our solar system, it revolves around the sun. The solar system doesn't revolve around planet Earth. To fear God means that we arrange our life around Him. We make God our reference point. That's what it means to fear Him. It's He's our reference point. You know, It's not that we ask God to get on board with our plans. It's that we recognize that for life to go well, we've got to build life around what God says. And so that's what it means to fear God. So, jo- so Joshua says, look, start with this, fear the Lord. And second, he says this, serve Him in sincerity. Serve God in, sincer- in sincerity. The idea with sincerity means, it means complete. It means whole. It's so that the whole next generation is looking to see if the God that they serve is real. Joshua is reminding these leaders, because he's got the heads of families before him, and he's charging the leaders, the key leaders, and he's reminding them to wholly follow God, because it is, if following God is just a fad, if it's a fake thing and just a compartment of their life, then the next generation who's watching will get the wrong idea. They won't understand what it really means to follow the Lord in sincerity. So he's saying, serve Him in sincerity. This can't be a game. The next generation needs to see a God who is real. Then he says this, serve him in faithfulness. So it's serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
Faithfulness has to do with reliability. When we talk about the word faithfulness, in Hebrew it has to do with constancy or trustworthiness. It's like, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm faithful. It's, that's the idea. It's you follow through. You are trustworthy with your words. So in family life, parents especially, the commitments you make, that is a, that is a stamp of faithfulness. That is a mark of faithfulness that you're laying out for those that are watching you, for those that are paying attention to you. Why do you give your money to the things that you give your money to? That's a commitment. Why, why do you give your time to the things you give your time to? Why, why do you share your faith with others? Why, why do you do those things? Well, it's because you've made some commitments. And so Joshua, he's reminding them that the commitments you make from small commitments to giant commitments, those commitments, they show the next generation what really matters. And so... Then the, fa- then the last thing he says is, put away the gods. Put away the gods, he says, that, the, that your father served. But what does that represent? Joshua was reminding these families that there's these distractions, these competing allegiances, the things of the past. And at that time, Joshua and the people, they knew what the other gods represented. These, these were idols that belonged to the people that lived in the land before them. There were people that lived there and they worshipped other gods. and These were idols made with human hands. And so Joshua was saying, look, put those things away and serve the Lord. Now, we may not have idols that are like displayed on our mantle of foreign gods. You might, but you might not. But what we have, we have our own gods, little gods. We have our own things that just are, that can pull our family towards the wrong things. Things like the God of Achievement. Here's just some examples of some of the gods. The God of Achievement is our vision you know, for our kids and family life. If we focus on appearances, we can get all mixed up. We can, get, we can aim family life to be all about appearance and, and status. And status, you know, growing and success is not a bad thing, but... but Achievement can really grab hold of our heart and can begin, we can begin to serve the God of achievement with our life. And then our family, they pick that up. They, they, they come to believe and serve the God of achievement themselves. Another God is the God of career. The God of career is, if achievement is important, then we can easily get pulled towards the God of career because the job you work is more than likely what allows you to maintain the type of status you have in life. And so you can start serving the God of career. Or another God, in our, it's real common just in our day and age, is the God of our own family unit. If all of our free time and energy is given to spending time with family, and if family is, is priority number one, then we can miss the things that God wants us to do. And so being with family is not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. Family is a blessing. But we cannot serve our family as God. We must serve God as number one. And through that, our family is blessed. And so Joshua, he's just providing in this verse a vision for what their life is to look like. And then in verse 15, he encourages the people to decide what they're going to give their lives to. Look at verse 15. This is a very memorable verse. I actually use this verse every time I I perform a, a wedding ceremony. And I ask the man to make a commitment to this as the leader of his home. Look at what it says. Verse 15, Joshua says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He's basically saying, 
The people that lived there before you, the gods that they left there, choose. Are you going to serve their gods? Are you going to serve the gods of the lands you've already crossed through? Then he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He makes this bold statement. And Joshua, he's letting everyone know at the age of 110 where he stands. And where the trajectory of his life and his whole legacy will go. He says, we will serve the Lord. Every family has the freedom to really choose whom they're going to serve, who they're going to follow. Many people listening to Joshua at that point had parents who did not follow God. They were Israelites, but they veered off course. They weren't careful to follow God's commands. And so he's saying to those folks, look, you choose who you're going to serve. Others were standing there before him and that they needed to renew their relationship to God. And maybe even some needed to begin for the very first time. And that's the same for us today. Joshua, he just kind of lays out a vision and he's saying, look, choose. Choose who you're going to serve. And the reality is for us, no one can decide this for us. We actually have to decide kind of have a heart to heart with just before the Lord and decide who am I going to serve now catch this if you look at that verse verse 15 it's the interesting thing about it is that it's almost like he's trying to talk them out of it because <laughs> he's like you know if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord then choose this day whom you're going to serve you read it and it almost sounds like he's just He's really saying, you better think this through. I'm not sure you're ready to make this kind of a commitment. Because he wants them to know that to set out to serve the Lord will actually complicate their lives. It's going to be quite challenging to, to follow. And so he leads them to think it over, to really count the cost. Why is he doing that? Well, if you, if you turn away from the Lord after, you know, after he's blessed you, then there's going to be a consequence. So he's saying, look, the perspective in Scripture is that God disciplines those he loves. So if I make a commitment to God and then I decide to walk away from that commitment, there will be consequences. And so Joshua wants to remind them of choosing carefully because the consequences that come are more than just the timeout chair where you, where you forget about it. The consequences that they had already experienced in the wilderness and some of the things that people, some of the people that died in the wilderness because of rebellion. Joshua's like, look, you choose, but this is a serious thing. And when the majority of the people living around you, when they keep choosing and orienting their lives around other things, it's, it's very tempting for us to do the same. So he's telling them, look, if you want God to be the rock that you anchor your life to and build everything around, then you make that decision right here and now. Many, many people in this room, your parents, they gave you a real gift in the way that they served the Lord. And maybe they built their life and their family life around God's kingdom. When I think of my parents, I'm very grateful for that. That they made walking with the Lord a priority and they made God's church a priority over other pursuits. And that's, that's a gift. But there's a variety of things that will crowd out that commitment to our Lord. There's things that can crowd out my focus and, and distract me away from those commitments. And so Joshua, he's just he's drawing a line in the sand saying, look, here's what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? Who are you going to serve? And so if you speed up to verse 23, after, after the Israelites convince Joshua that they're really ready to make this commitment, then here's what he says. This is verse 23. Because they basically says, we're in. And then he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. Get rid of those gods and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve 
and His voice, we will obey. This is the commitment that Joshua is asking for. He calls for a commitment and many, many of them, they respond. I can't think of a more appropriate way to kind of wrap up this message series than to ask you to consider your commitments. Ask you to consider your spiritual commitments. One of the ones that we pointed out this morning, Scott pointed out, we're signing people up for small groups right now. And that is, that's a commitment. And I can't think of a, a more appropriate way than to urge you to count the cost in that area, to consider connecting to a small group as they're getting launched here in the next few weeks. We have 12 to choose from. I think a couple of them are full now, so there's, I think, only 10 to choose from. But as of the last week, since last Sunday when we opened them up, 115 adults signed up for groups within the last week. I would love to see, we would love to see another 100 plus adults sign up for small groups. Um, Small groups is not the only way to, to grow. But it's a great way to echo Joshua's words, which is, look, choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A lot of folks aren't going to sign up for small groups. I realize that. But when it comes to this issue of just sorting through your priorities and commitments, you alone actually have to make that decision and just sort through whether or not um, you want to do something like that. If not small groups, then, then ask yourself, what is it that I'm doing? To grow? What is it that I'm going to do this year that's going to be different from previous years? Because if you don't notice, if it, the years just, just spin on. And not a lot of change occurs apart from the major commitments we make in life. And so I just want to encourage you to count the cost right now and consider that. I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage. And I would love to help you get connected to the right small group. If you are newer to, to our church here and you would like to talk about, hey, which one would, would be a good fit? Like, whether it's a life group or a growth group or a specific one, um, our staff is going to be back at the guest and info table. And we're really here to help you clarify what those groups are all about. And if you're a college student, one of the best choices you can make in college is to invest in your spiritual growth. It's to not dabble in your college years with God, not dabble with church, but to really invest yourself because as you're beginning out in college, getting connected to the right group of people and walking with people who are trying to walk with the Lord, that's going to impact your life for good down the, down the road. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and you will grow wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And so, if you pick your friends, you pick your future. And so I want to encourage you to, to consider that if you're a college student. If you're, if you're single, if you're not married... I encourage you, get connected, be about, and stay focused on advancing God's kingdom here and now. Make that priority number one. Trust God. God, there's a lot of details that I'm waiting for. There's some things that, that I'm asking you for. Make seeking God priority number one and, and trust Him with the details of His plan for your life and for, for your future. If you're the head of a household, then I want to encourage you, take Joshua's lead, count that cost, and declare your commitment. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, our staff will be back at the guest info table. So come chat with us about this if you'd love to do that. Um, I want to pray. Notice there's some next steps here. These are on the back of your connection card. Also on your listening guide. And so if you'd like to just take a step forward, there's this first one. Decide to make God the number one priority in my life. And lead my family to do the same. 
The second one really is, if I've never done that, for the very first time, I choose to accept Christ as my Savior and follow Him as Lord. The last one we just left open intentionally for you. If you're new to church, new to Christianity, you're just exploring, and you check that second box there, we'll follow up with you and just make sure you have a real clear understanding of what it means to, to follow Christ and become a Christian. And if you want to talk to someone, just come visit with us in the back. In a moment, we're going to be receiving our offering, and let's pray before we do that. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for bringing each person here. Lord, it's no accident that we're all here this morning. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the the ways in the history of your people that you moved people by faith to follow to just follow you fully. And God, they weren't perfect, but Lord, these stories really motivate us and they, they help us to see where you want our lives to be heading. Lord, we ask you for strength and courage and careful obedience in our lives, just as Joshua charged the people. Lord, would you help us to respond to what you're saying to us this morning in whatever way you've put on our hearts today pray you bless the offering we're about to receive. We thank you for the ways that you have grown our congregation in generosity and the many things we've been able to do, Lord, as a result of that. To help reach new people, Lord, and we're just excited, Lord, to see what you've been doing in the life of our church. So we just thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray.